Hi, I'm Dawn Tree, and you're listening to Atypical Parenting, the podcast for people who love someone with autism. Today's guest is Sandra Cavanaugh. She is a creativity specialist and a transformational coach, and she owns a business called Spontaneous Brilliance. I'm so glad you're here with me. Thank you, Sandra, for hanging out. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Do you want to just tell us a little more about yourself? I've been in the arts and professional theater for 35 plus years. Started out as an actor in New York and became a teacher of acting and a director and an artistic director and a playwright and a screenwriter. And as a teacher and as a theater director, I was always saying, in acting as in life, this is true. In improv as in life, this is true. And then one day it suddenly dawned on me that maybe Shakespeare's idea that all the world's a stage wasn't just a pretty piece of poetry, but rather what I call a metaphorical metaphysical guide to life, that anything that works on the stage for a great performance also works in life. And I started using those techniques to teach all kinds of people, from CEOs to teaching improv techniques and status interactions to parents to help them negotiate for their kids with disabilities, negotiate an IEP and not get walked over. And I started getting really super cocky about using those techniques of improvisation and writing techniques and acting techniques to work with kids with disabilities. And I had several children, only one of which I gave birth to, and quite a few of them, all girls, who I adopted. And the two that I adopted from foster care have fetal alcohol syndrome. They have neurological processing disorders, auditory processing disorders, lots of things that show up very much like autism. And ironically, the one child that I gave birth to, she's now an adult, but it never occurred to me that while I was raising these other kids with invisible disabilities, that my oldest daughter, who was helping parent, also had an invisible disability. She is on the autism spectrum, but she wasn't diagnosed as such until she was in her 20s. And also, ironically, by that time, she was helping me teach kids that were in classes with significant developmental disabilities. They were on the autism spectrum or they had mosaic down syndrome or seizure disorders, et cetera. And as I said, I'd gotten very cocky about being able to use these techniques to bring out this stuff in these kids. And I like to say about my book, Spontaneous Brilliance, which just came out last fall, I like to call it a metaphorical metaphysical guide to life, and it's based on two metaphors. My first favorite metaphor is Shakespeare's metaphor that I already said, that all the world's a stage. And my second favorite metaphor is Einstein's quote that says, everyone is brilliant, but if you ask a fish to climb a tree, it'll spend its entire life thinking it's stupid. I've never heard that. That's phenomenal. And I just think all these kids and adults that are on the spectrum or have developmental disabilities, it's not that they're not able to, you know, do whatever their great thing is that they came here to do, that they don't have brilliance. It's that we're not listening to them. I always say there's no shortage of brilliance on this planet. There's just a reluctance to offer it and a resistance to accepting it. And offering and accepting are two basic principles of improvisation. And so that's what I teach 
these kids or adults, you know, because I teach everything from kindergartners to CEOs, you know, and PhDs. And, and when I work with people, I just simply teach them to learn to offer, to accept the offers that are coming to them and to not block, you know, so they're not saying no. And um, I've had just extraordinary experiences with these kids. I walked into a special needs class in a local school district, and it was run by the woman who was over all of the special needs for the entire school district. And she had this classroom. And I walked in one day and I was like, hey, I got a residency, so I'm already prepaid for it. And I want to come in and teach your class to improvise and to um, do all these different things. And I want to teach them to write. And then I want to enter them in the Kennedy Center Playwrights Contest for Plays with Disabilities. And she's just looking at me and she's like, "Uh, these kids don't talk to each other. They're not going to talk to you. They've never written more than two paragraphs in their entire school history. They are not going to write a play, and they're never going to improvise. And I was like, okay, can I try anyway? Um, you know, she's like, well, okay, I need an hour break every day. So yeah, go ahead, come in. You got a semester. Be happy, do what you will. In three years, I had two students win the Kennedy Center Playwrights competition. That's amazing. First thing I did was put them all up on their feet, have them stand in a circle. We're telling an improvisational story together, you know, one word at a time. They're each adding like one word. Every time they'd add a word, I'd go back to the beginning of the circle, point at each person, add their thing and tell the story all over again and get around to the next person in the circle and point at them and they'd offer their next word. And so we had like Morgan Freeman and some monkeys on a motorcycle on the moon. You know, it was like, it was a pretty festive story. And I knew I put this kid deliberately at the end of the circle because I knew he was going to be troubled because I could just feel it. You know, he would tend to, you'd talk to him and he'd go, what? And he would, he would just stare at you. And, (laughs) but I saw in his eyes that, you know, it was kind of mischievous that what, you know, it was his way of sort of shutting it down, you know, and taking control of the situation. And I thought, okay, I'm going to see what I can do. And we get around the circle and I totally thought he was going to, you know, be difficult, but we get around and I'm spinning through this story. I get to him, I point at him and he goes, what? And this, this huge, gorgeous story just hits the wall. And I said, you guys, wasn't that amazing? And they're all like, excuse me? (laughs) And he just taught us all how to block. That is masterful blocking. That is amazing. Like he is now our master blocker and he's going to teach us all how to not do it by showing us what it's like to do it. So about a month and a half into this process, as I've got these kids writing and doing things that they weren't supposed to be able to do, and we would improvise every day. And I was having them all write stories. And I brought scribes in for whoever couldn't write as fast as they could maybe talk, you know, if the writing was what was hanging them up. And every scribe I brought in, every special needs assistant that came into the class, typically what they would do is I would be talking to the kids about developing a character and I'd throw a question out and they'd be supposed to, you know, write it down, make a decision. And 
the special needs scribes, they'd wait, you know, maybe 60 seconds max, and then they'd go, so she's asking what color his eyes are. How about green? And then, of course, the kids would just go, okay, you know, because their thought process was completely disregarded. And so I went and got my daughter, Shelly, who is on the autism spectrum. And I brought her into class, and she looks a lot younger than she is. She was in her early 20s at the time, and she looked like she was 12. You know, she would get stopped in the hall by the SRO telling her she had to take her headphones off, and she'd be like, I'm going to teach a class down there, you know. <laughs> but, but she walked in in her little gothy kind of outfit, you know, and everybody's jaws on the floor because she just looked too cool for school, right? And and I said, she's going to be his scribe today to that kid that was the what kid and also said that imagining hurt. And she sat down and I had told her ahead of time, I said, I don't care if you have to sit there for 10 minutes before he says a word, just Treat it as he's thinking and write exactly what he says. At the end of the first day, kind of looked like it wasn't making sense what was on the page. It was about a half a page. At the end of five days, just we did this for one week, he had a seven-page post-apocalyptic story about this young boy named Tom who was in a tent city and looking for the parents and the kids went to school in a tent and it was astounding. And it was inside the head and heart of this kid that people thought wasn't thinking anything wow. and couldn't write because nobody was waiting to see what was coming forward. And to me, these kids, if you look at the logo of Spontaneous Brilliance, it's a starburst and it's got like half a diamond on it. Because I once had one young man, he was 18 with autism, and he said, we're just diamonds in the rough. You just have to be willing to wipe the dirt off. And that same kid, wrote an amazing screenplay. And one day I asked him, what was his dramatic question? Because I was teaching the kids to ask a dramatic question, something that was universal to the world in what they were writing. And he said, are people with autism really disabled or do they just see more color in the world? I think what you're talking about is absolute brilliance, which I guess goes in line with your book title and your company name. But so often we discount people because they don't do it according to the way we think they should. And if you think about our entire school system in the United States, it's all about testing and recall and spitting shit out that you took in, right? And when you have autism, that just doesn't work for a variety of reasons. And so I think what you're talking about is kind of a lesson for the rest of the country about how do we get more success and more fullness out of their lives, right? Like how do these people with autism live life in a fully meaningful way, despite the fact that we're in a society that doesn't cater to that? Well, my belief is that every single human being on the planet is a unique creative genius with a unique purpose they came here to share. 
And if we would walk into every room and the we, most of the we is like educators, parents, you know, the people that have control over these moments, right? If we would walk into every room knowing that every human being in that room is a unique creative genius and that our job as educators, our job as parents, our job as collaborators on the planet, you know, people that are in anybody else's sphere is to give these kids, all kids, the tools they need to express their unique creative genius, not to decide whether or not they have any. Oh, that's so true. If that were how the world worked, the outcome for autistic people would be so much different, right? Like the fact that 80% of adults with autism are unemployed, like that's crazy. Yeah, they don't fit the monkey model to climb the tree. They might be a giraffe or a bird or whatever. They could get to the top of the tree faster than the monkey can, but nobody's paying attention to that because we expect brilliance to show up in a particular box. Absolutely. And I say in the beginning of the book, and I say all the time when I'm speaking to people, you know, a fish doesn't look at the monkey and go, oh, dang, you know, it's got legs and I didn't get those. Or look at another fish and go, they can swim faster than I can, or they're better at that than I can. You know, they're not comparing themselves. Only human beings do that. Only human beings look around and go, you know, the creator did a good job on that one, but that one got messed up. And we think mm. that people are something we have to fix instead of being something that we know are here the way they're supposed to be here. And if we shut up, we'll learn something from them. It's so mind-blowing what you're saying because in science, when we discover a new creature, right, a new being, a new organism, whatever it is, we take time to explore what that's about and what purpose they serve in our ecosystem. And yet you're right. When we have people with autism or anything else that's not like the way it's supposed to be, we think, oh, something's wrong with that. You literally just quoted my book because I literally say that, that when scientists discover a new species in the world, they observe it to find out what it is and what it does and what it's here for and how it behaves. I think I told you the story earlier. My oldest daughter, she was speaking at six months old. She was in complete grammatically correct sentences at 15 months. She was reading Victor Hugo in second grade, but she also was as ADHD as the day was long. She couldn't prevent just leaving this sort of screech rail behind her of whatever she had touched. All of her grandparents, anybody who loved her would just raise everything above her reach level because they knew she was going to touch everything. And it never occurred to me ever that she was on the autism spectrum. Never occurred to me. I just saw it as, ooh, isn't she brilliant in that way? And yeah, that behavior has to be adjusted for. And it never occurred to me that that was a, quote, disability. It was just, she was brilliant in these ways, and she had to learn how to cope with these parts of her you know, a nervous system that couldn't take certain things. And, you know, she couldn't, she had to wear the little socks that separated her toes into separate, she couldn't have her toes touch, you know, never occurred to me she was on the autism spectrum. I'm surprised they had those socks back then. They did when she was a teenager. Yeah, they had those toe socks and she could not live without them. 
you know, it really supported her nervous system. Her fingers, she would put on those, you know, before it was even cool, she would cut the ends of the fingers off of gloves, you know, so that there was something spacing her fingers apart. It's so funny that like a very functional piece of clothing for a person with autism or sensory issues became a total fad that everybody wore and you saw in the movies, right? How crazy is that? Maybe that speaks to people who are in the entertainment industry that many of them might be autistic because they, right, they start these trends out of necessity. Oh yeah. My daughter is an actress and a film editor. She taught herself to edit feature films. Wow. I had a film that I had made and lost the editor for, and she sat down with an editor for about 20 minutes and then took the mouse out of his hand and went, I get it, and figured out the rest and did. Wow. And that's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. But, you know, in other ways, like, can she remember to take her meds or can she remember to take a vitamin? No, somebody has to be there to hand that to her. But you turn her loose with what is organically her brilliance. Lots of mechanical devices can provide the timing for that vitamin, you know? Absolutely. That's the easy stuff, right? The stuff that we value so much in society is really the easy stuff when you think about exactly. it. Exactly. You know, somebody can come in and clean her house. That's not her shtick, right? Absolutely. But can they do what she can do? Nah. You know, and it's it's the same with my kids with fetal alcohol because fetal alcohol a lot of times is very similar to autism. You know, a lot of the challenges are similar and the sensory issues some of the executive function things can be the same. The fact that, you know, one part of the brain will be very exceptional in what it shows up with and other parts are stunted, you know, and the social emotional thing. You know, my youngest daughter has significant dismaturity and I've always told the kids, your diagnosis is an explanation. It's not an excuse. Oh, I've never heard that before. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's just my way of saying to them, if you'd been born blind, we would figure out how to teach you to read Braille. We'd get you a cane. We'd get you those things. So having invisible disabilities, which it's interesting, all my kids have invisible disabilities. None of them have a disability that other people can perceive from the outside. And so they a lot of times are bullied or intimidated or treated like they're odd or just can't handle something emotionally. And all it is, is that they see the world slightly differently, you know, but they have these exceptional talents, every single one of them. It sounds like your children are remarkable. And I also have to wonder what it is about you that you adopted three children with special needs like that. That's a lot to take on. You know, I have one daughter that has severe mental illness. And when she was younger, and we didn't know that when she was adopted, but we, we found out um, rather, uh, rather abruptly. And it was severe. And there was a lot of violence in her behavior back then, etc. I was told to throw her back in the system. I was told she would never be able to function in society. I was told to terminate my parental rights. This was not what I signed on for. Literally, that's a quote from a social worker. Oh, that's horrifying. And, you know, people would always say, oh, those girls are so lucky that you 
this or that or whatever. And I would say, they're my children, you know? And I started, I started speaking to groups of parents when they were getting ready to adopt from foster care or thinking about it or had just adopted from foster care. I started speaking on a subject that I call the art of unconditional commitment. And inevitably, I would arrive at the place to speak and the posters or the pre-written stuff would say, Sandra Kavanaugh is going to talk to us about unconditional love. And I would stand up there and go, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to talk to you about unconditional commitment because I will guarantee there will be days when you're not sure you like these kids, let alone love them. It's so interesting that you're saying this because last week's episode was on exactly that topic of unconditional love and how it is not always so warm and fuzzy because sometimes, you know, shit's not so good and they're not very lovable. Right. People, I guess, in general. But, you know, I said to, to these parents, for me, it's about unconditional commitment because people were always saying to me for years, you know, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you, wow, you know, those girls are so lucky. And I'm like, nobody says that about somebody that's born into a family, you know? And so I started freaking social workers out because I would say in these talks, I'd say, everybody write down the reason that you would want to give birth to a child. And, you know, of course they write it down. And then I'd say, now, A little while later, I'd talk for a while, space it out, and I'd say, now write down your reason for wanting to adopt. And they'd write it down. And I would say, okay, unless those two things are identical, don't adopt because nobody gives birth to a child because they're trying to do them a favor bringing them onto the planet or trying to do something kind and generous by bringing them onto the planet. You bring them on because you want to be that parent. That's true. So the same thing needs to be true with adoption, that when you bring those children into your home, that you are recognizing that you can't shove them back in the womb if they have a quality you don't appreciate. Well, you can't shove them back on the plane either, you know, or you shouldn't, although the system is set up to test drive these kids, you know. But the reality is that we get ourselves into these positions where we think that, you know, when these kids are difficult, whether we give birth to them or we adopt them or whatever, when these kids are challenged, we think that it's such a pain in our lives. You know, it's such, it's so hard and we're struggling and aren't we wonderful because we're staying in there. But we forget to stop and look at what are they teaching us? What are the gifts that they're bringing us? How am I so much better? Because I got through this. I went through this. I figured out how to be more present, how to be more open, how to be more understanding, because I guarantee those kids are here to teach us something. It really is a fascinating idea because when you have a child who has struggles, how often are people so quick to blame the parents, right? Oh, yeah. Like your kid is misbehaving and you must be a bad mother. And yet when you adopt a child, it's like, oh my gosh, you're Mother Teresa. Look how wonderful you are. (laughs) it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah. And my kids have invisible disabilities, all of them, you know? And so when they would act out in public, you know, I have one little one, she's 22 now, but when she was four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, all the way to junior high, if her nervous system got too far challenged, she would just 
lose it and just flail and scream and kick and throw. And I got so I could see it happening. I would get her off so nobody else would see it. But one day I had a business colleague at the house and she spun out and she was in the other room with another adult who basically called me and said, hey, you know, need you to come and restrain her. And so I did. And I spent about 20 minutes restraining her and just sitting there through, I hate you. You're killing me. I hate you. You know, kicking and screaming, putting her foot through things if she could get anywhere near them, you know, just flailing and thrashing. And when it was over, I said, how about we turn this restraint into a hug? And we did. And she's like, I love you, mommy. I don't know why I said that. And it's like, okay, you know, take a nap. Went back into the other room and my colleague said, okay, I'm never going to complain again about what I'm experiencing as a parent. She's like, I don't know how you last through that. And like, I just know that she can't be there any other way. If she could stop it, she would stop it. Right. And when you love a child the way that you love a child, you do what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they become adults, they're still your child. Absolutely. And that's where that unconditional thing comes from. And that's going back to that brilliance piece. You know, if we could just walk into every room, treating every person with the same respect and commitment to their best life that we make to our kids... And if we could see them all knowing that even if it's not evident to us, because we're, you know, the fish or the monkey and we're looking at a giraffe and a orangutan, you know, we don't understand their brilliance, but that's on us. Absolutely. It's because we're not picking it up. It is absolutely true. Thank you so much, Sandra Cavanaugh. You've been an amazing person to chat with. I appreciate you. And I really appreciate all of the goodness that you're putting out into the world. Where can people find your book? They can find my book on Amazon or on Barnes & Noble. It's called Spontaneous Brilliance, and the subtitle is Unleash the Power of Your Unique Creative Genius. And they can also go to my website, which is sandracavanaugh.com. And up in the right-hand corner, there are some other free gifts on there, but up in the right-hand corner, there's a little button to push to schedule a 20-minute complimentary consultation with me. And like I said, I work with parents all the time, coaching them through managing these circumstances and staying committed to their kids. And I work with kids and adults that are on the autism spectrum all the time to help them with their creative pursuits. So I'm happy to have people just reach out to me and I'll spend some time with them and try and help them out. That's phenomenal. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us today. This conversation has been super valuable, and I think that you're going to get a lot out of it. But you're going to get even more if you check out Sandra's book because she's an amazing human, and I know that she's written some valuable information for us all. So have a wonderful week, everyone. I'll see you next time. Mm